Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about ministry leadership, particularly focusing on practical issues about how to lead churches and ministry organizations more effectively. Now, this week on the podcast, I want to start a two-part podcast on ministry or preaching on controversial issues. Now, we live in, a, in an era of ministry where controversial issues are pressing us, it seems like, day by day. For example, same-sex marriage, all kinds of gender issues, sexual harassment, sexual abuse. These are just some of the most pressing controversies that are in our culture and certainly are impacting our church ministries and our organizational ministries. Now, in a short podcast, it's impossible to lay out everything that needs to be done to shape a ministry in all ways for uh, this kind of a milieu in which we find ourselves. But I've put together what I call a top 10 list, and I've shared this a few places and refined it a bit. And I think these ideas really will help us uh, not to lay out a comprehensive strategy, but to put together, if you will, a checklist or a, a set of a points of emphasis that if we get these things right, and focus on these things, then perhaps uh, that'll take care of the the broad, uh, the big brush strokes or the big rocks in the jar, to use the old illustration. Uh, it'll help us to get the main issues right and then be able to, to minister more effectively uh, in the midst of or in addressing these kind of controversial issues. So uh, on the first part of the podcast this week, I'd like to talk about some about ministry issues uh, or about ministry in, con- in the context of controversial issues. And then next week, I'll talk about preaching uh, or speaking or teaching on controversial issues. So top 10 uh, ideas about ministry on controversial issues. Number one, first of all, uh, prepare for messy situations that do not have easy answers. It is foundational that you understand that not all believers are going to share uh, your exact applications or decisions about how to implement your core convictions on these issues. These are thorny and difficult subjects. And while we may have some core convictions that we all share, when you start working out what those core convictions look like, it gets really challenging to know uh, exactly how those things are going to be applied or exactly um, how those decisions are going to be made. For example, In the area of same-sex marriage, I often get asked uh, questions about going to a same-sex marriage or sending a gift to a couple that's involved in a same-sex relationship or going out socially with couples that are uh, married that are of the same sex or in some way involving yourself in in their lives. Um, Now, another question that's come up to me recently is, what about my children? Should I allow them to play with and interact with children from uh, same-sex couples in our neighborhood? These are the kinds of questions that are spinning out of this issue of same-sex marriage being legalized in our country. Now, I have uh, opinions and perspectives and uh, decisions that I've made on these issues, and I'd be glad to share them with anyone that asks me about those, and I do share them when I'm in dialogue with a person about one of these issues. But I also recognize that really solid Christians who have the same convictions I have about marriage uh, would reach perhaps some different conclusions about how to implement that decision and all these these social relationship issues related to uh, same-sex marriage. For example, a, a person contacted me recently and said, you know, I've just been made a team leader at my work and 
on my team is a sex is a same sex married couple. Uh, both of them employed by our organization. Both of them uh, working in the same area. And how exactly do I relate to them as a team leader in that context? And so that's the kind of thing I mean when I say that these are messy situations that simply do not have easy answers. And how we resolve those issues may be a little bit different from person to person or Christian to Christian. But if another believer or another leader shares your core convictions, stand with that person because, listen, we need each other, and we need each other on these messy, controversial issues, and we can't afford to attack each other on issues that may not be at the core of what we believe. A second thing I would say is that you need to adopt a written doctrinal statement of your church or your ministry's convictions about these controversial issues, particularly about marriage and gender and sexual abuse, those kinds of things. Now, in, in our denomination, we have a doctrinal statement called uh, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, and that statement generally covers most issues that we need to address as a seminary, and for most Baptist churches or Southern Baptist churches, that doctrinal statement is really a good foundational one that, uh, that covers most of the issues that, that need to be addressed. Now, if there is a specialized issue or something that you don't feel like is covered in your doctrinal statement or in your church's doctrinal statement or in your organization's doctrinal statement, and you plan to add to the core statement that you have, be sure that you do that wisely. Be sure you do that uh, with the advice of counsel, and also be sure you do that uh, with a plurality of people in your leadership, your board or your leadership team or others, helping to craft this statement because it's so easy to write something that puts you in a legally um, uh, a position of legal risk or puts you in a position where uh, you're held accountable for it personally because you developed it. Make sure it's an organizational decision. Make sure it's done with legal counsel. And make sure it's a, a statement that you're willing to stand behind in all contexts and in all settings before you add it to your core doctrinal statement of your organization. And then third, revise your bylaws uh, to reflect your doctrinal statement. Now, bylaws are very important documents. Uh, they, are the, uh, got, they are the documents that an organization or a church adopts that control its day-to-day -day operations and control its ways of implementing its doctrinal statement or its ways of implementing its legal mandates. Bylaws are fairly flexible. Uh, you can have bylaws about how your board functions, about how your elders function, about how your church makes decisions, about how your ministry organization, like the one I work, uh, employs people and how those relationships are managed. Bylaws can cover a wide range of issues, but be sure that they accurately reflect your doctrinal standing and your doctrinal position and, they don't, and that they don't contradict it in any way. And then it's very important that you implement those documents consistently. Now, it might surprise you, but here at the seminary, our bylaws are fairly short, just several, just a few pages, actually. And we've intentionally kept them as short as possible because we want to be sure that they are, are general enough to allow us some flexibility of operations, but also that they're short enough that we can make sure that we know them well enough that we can actually put them into practice. And so bylaws are important. But if you've inherited an aging organization or a church that's been around a while and it has 30 or 40 or 50 pages of bylaws, you might want to make a major reorganization of that or a revision of that so that you can actually have bylaws that you can use and that you can implement and that people can really know what they say and, and how to use them effectively. So if you're laying a foundation for ministry in controversial issue, on controversial issues, do these three things. Prepare for messy situations 
and make a commitment that you're going to stand by your convictions, but you're going to have some grace and patience with people who may hold your same convictions but differ with you on the applications of those decisions. And then, second, adopt a written doctrinal statement that you can stand by. And uh, if you're in a denomination or a group that already has a statement, simply use theirs. But if you need to add to it, make sure you do that with the advice of counsel and with a plurality of, of uh, input from your leaders so that you have something that really is organizationally adopted and not just something that you've personally put into place. And then, Make sure your bylaws line up with your doctrinal statement and make sure your bylaws are general enough to allow you some flexibility uh, and short enough that you can actually know what they say and make use of them on a regular basis so that you can implement those documents uh, consistently. So that's sort of a ministry foundation for working on controversial issues. Now, let me talk about what I call ministry focus and give you four ideas about that. First of all, in your ministry focus on controversial issues, focus on the gospel. It is so easy to be distracted and think that we need to be preaching on same-sex marriage, we need to be preaching on gender issues, we need to be preaching about sexual harassment or sexual abuse, uh, we need to be preaching about abortion, or we need to be preaching about immigration, or we need to be preaching about environmental issues, or things that are pressing in the culture that seem to be demanding all of our attention. Well, I advise strongly that you keep your focus on the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to change anyone. And so rather than trying to confront all these controversial issues and try to create a polemic or an apologetic that speaks to every one of these, I think you're much wiser to focus on the gospel. Focus on preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, witnessing the gospel, communicating the gospel. Because the basic need of every human being is still the gospel. Uh, every person, no matter their sin, no matter their lifestyle, no matter the choices they've made, no matter the destruction those choices may have brought into their lives, no matter their political affiliation, no matter their level of activism, uh, no matter any of these externals, the core need that every single person has is the gospel. And so your ministry focus must remain on the gospel, communicating it, teaching it, preaching it, sharing it, living it and implementing it so that people understand this is the core ministry focus of your church or organization. Another ministry focus, and I would say this is number five on my top ten list, is to focus on disciple-making. Focus on teaching doctrine to build strong Christians. Focus on teaching believers to live dynamic, committed, fully formed uh, uh, relationships to Jesus Christ. Now, Again, this is at the core of what we do. We make disciples. That's our mandate. And so it's so easy to drift off onto these controversial issues and think, well, my mandate is to, is to oppose same-sex marriage, or my mandate is to stop sexual harassment, or my mandate is to uh, limit abortion, or my mandate is to, uh, to take a strong stand on immigration. Well, these issues all deserve a, a convictional stand. I'm not opposing that. But you're not going to change people by focusing on those issues. You're going to change people by first focusing on the gospel and then secondarily focusing on discipling them so that the word of God becomes real in their lives. Their doctrinal convictions become so pronounced that they begin to influence their behavior and their attitudes and, uh, and, their, and, their, and their outcomes of life. And so your function, your task, your role is to focus on disciple-making. Uh, teaching Christians so that you build them into stronger Christians and they can stand up to any of these controversial issues that come at them or to any of these issues that are pressing them uh, in your community. Another ministry focus, 
besides the gospel and disciple-making, is to focus on behavior, not so much orientation or temptation. When you're dealing with people who are struggling with or dealing with or are somehow facing these kind of controversial issues, it's so easy to get distracted on their words or their feelings or to get distracted on what sometimes are called their orientations or their perspectives. It's so much more important to focus on behavior. For example, let's say that a, a teenage boy comes to you and says, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm really troubled because I think a lot about having a sexual encounter with other boys or with men. Well, has that person done anything wrong yet? Likely not. Teenage boys have all kinds of random sexual thoughts about boys, about girls, about men, about women. Teenage boys are all over the map, if you want to say it that way, in terms of thinking about and processing their sexuality. So when a young man comes to me and says, um, you know, I'm having feelings of attraction toward other men, or, or, or I, I think I might be gay because I feel like I'm sort of oriented that way. I don't overreact to feelings or descriptions of orientation or, or reports of significant temptation. What I'm really focusing on when I'm dealing with someone is their behavior. Same thing if a man came to me and said, you know, man, I'm really thinking a lot about, about you know, having a relationship with someone that, that's not my wife. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really tempted about this and I think about it and it's in my mind. And I, I asked them, well, have you done anything about this yet? Well, no. Okay, well, let's start there then. Let's start by focusing on your behavior. You're still making the choice to do what's right. And I want to reinforce that choice and support that choice and stand with you in that choice. Now, we need to do something about these feelings you're having or, and these thoughts that you're processing, and we need to confront the temptations that you're feeling. I get that. But I want to keep the focus on behaviors. This is so vital because people today have been taught by our culture and they're told by many people that if you feel something or you think something, then that, that for, therefore that defines you. That simply is not true. Look, I, I, I've been married for 38 years and I've been faithful to my wife, but that doesn't mean I haven't thought about being unfaithful or been tempted to be unfaithful, that the thought hasn't crossed my mind in some capacity. But when it does, um, I apply, you know, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I say, these thoughts that I'm having, they do not define me. These temptations I'm feeling, this orientation that people t tell me that I may have or that I may claim that I have, uh, these, uh, these ideas that are in my mind, they do not define me. Behavior becomes defining. And so while I want to resist temptation and overcome temptation and do battle in my mind, and I understand all of that spiritual warfare aspect of what we talk about uh, as the mind, be, uh, as spirituality having the battlefield of the mind, I get all that. But what I'm really focusing on when I'm working with people is their behavior and helping them understand that they are not defined by their feelings, they're not defined by their emotions, they're not defined by their thoughts, they're not defined by their ideas, that they can take charge of those things and be defined instead by the choices they make and the behavior that results. So, ministry focus. I'm going to focus on the gospel, I'm going to focus on disciple-making, and I'm going to focus on helping people shape their behavior so that their behavior reflects their doctrine and their, convi their doctrinal convictions and reflects their, uh, their, their uh, spiritual commitments so that their behavior is a result of the gospel and the discipleship process unfolding in their lives. I am so frustrated 
that in our culture we teach people if you feel it or if you think it, therefore it defines you. That is simply not true. And we need to help people understand that gospel and disciple-making leads to behavioral choices, and that becomes more defining, much more defining in their lives. And then also as a part of a ministry focus, you're going to focus on the gospel and on disciple-making and on behavior. But then last of all, you want to focus on personal responsibility and recognize that people who are related to, are connected to controversial people or people involved in controversial uh, issues or lifestyle choices are not at fault. In your ministry focus, you're focusing on the gospel and disciple-making and behavioral, behavioral choices of the people that you're working with, but you also are recognizing that those people have a personal responsibility for their own choices, but you cannot blame them or hold them responsible or in any way penalize them for the choices others are making that may impact them directly. Now let me give you some examples of what I mean. Uh, suppose that you have a child in your community that has a same-sex married, uh, same-sex married couple as parents. Will you welcome that child to your church, into your home? Will you let your child develop a relationship with, those, with that child to play with or to, or to do school projects with or to some other, in a, some other way be engaged in a, in, in a relationship? I hope the answer is yes. Because the child in a same-sex marriage is not responsible for the choices of their parents. And, we have, and, and, and to hold that child responsible is to hold them responsible for something that they can't do or control and they can't undo. And so it's important to relate to them individually and specifically on who they are and, and what they've done. Uh, for example, a, a person once came to me and said, I need to resign from my ministry role. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, my son has uh, declared on Facebook that he's, uh, he's gay. I said, how old is your son? He said, well, he's, he's 22. I said, look, your 22-year-old son declaring on Facebook that he's gay does not invalidate your capacity to be involved in ministry. Your son's choices are your son's choices. Your choices are your choices. And I'm not going to hold you responsible for an adult son's choices. And so, no, you can stay in ministry, and I want you to stay engaged in ministry because we don't want to hold you responsible for the choices of another person. I had another instance like this uh, not long ago. I was teaching and preaching on same-sex marriage issues in a conference, and an elderly gentleman came up to me and said, with tears in his eyes, I've been a deacon for 50 years. I've been a leader in my church, and I've done all I can to serve the Lord. Um, and recently, my granddaughter sent me an invitation to her wedding. She's, she's marrying another woman. And I said, he said, you know, I'm, I'm heartbroken about this, and I just feel that that uh, it, it, it undermines everything I've ever done or, 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 or let out to try to do in ministry, and I, I think I should just step aside. I said, no, my friend, don't do that. Um, your granddaughter's choices are your granddaughter's choices, and the fact that she's making those choices doesn't invalidate the life of commitment that you've lived to God. And so this discouraged brother was willing to give away or step away from 50 years of deacon service in his church because of a decision now that his granddaughter was making. So what I'm saying is we can't hold people responsible for the choices of others. We have to focus on personal responsibility in dealing with controversial issues. And so uh, let's review. Ministry foundation, listen, first of all, prepare for messy situations. Unify around core convictions, but be gentle when people make different applications of those convictions in your setting. 
and then have a clearly articulated doctrinal statement and a usable set of bylaws, and this forms a foundation from which you can build a ministry that has some depth and strength to it on controversial issues. Now, ministry focus. Focus on the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to change anyone. Keep that as the central message. Don't spend all your time sidetracked trying to preach and teach on every controversial issue that comes your way. Focus on the gospel. And then, as people respond to the gospel, focus on disciple-making so that you build strong Christians who have doctrinal conviction and understand how to express that through spiritual commitments and through the disciple-making process come to understand how to interface with these controversial issues that surround them. And then, as you share the gospel and make disciples, focus on behavior. Reject uh, the cultural pressure that what you think or what you feel you have to do or what you think or what you feel defines you. Uh, sometimes this is called orientation, but the Bible calls it temptation. Listen, there is a great battle going on in your mind. I get that. And in the mind of every person you're working with, I get that. But keep the focus on behaviors. Help them win the battle of the mind, but really focus on making right choices, not just being guilt-ridden or um, in some way uh, condemned because they have thoughts that don't line up with what they know is the right behavioral choices they should make. And then keep the focus on the personal responsibility for the people you're working with. Help them to understand they have a responsibility for the gospel, for being made into a disciple of Jesus Christ, and for making behavioral choices that reflect their, their doctrinal com commitments and, or convictions and their spiritual commitments. Keep the responsibility focused there. And don't hold people responsible for the choices of others. Hold them responsible for their own choices and help them to be liberated from feeling uh, depressed or overwhelmed or defeated because people around them may make choices that they feel in some way disqualify them or undermine them or negate their spiritual commitment or their spiritual capacity for leadership. Reject that completely. Now, we've talked about foundations and focus, but finishing up our top 10 list, let's go to number 8, 9, and 10 and talk about three specific ministry actions you can take, or I should say categories of ministry actions that you should take that will really help you in these controversial areas. The first one is to implement a sound church membership policy. How to do a whole podcast sometime on church membership. It is a vital issue in our world today. Now, I know we went through a phase in like the 90s and early 2000s where people said, ah, church membership doesn't really all that matter all that much. Whoever comes to our church on Sunday is a member. We don't want to have all this formal list and all this formal rules about who's in and who's out and who's a member and who's not, but that has definitely changed. It's important to have a sound church membership policy, and that policy should be based on this conviction. All are welcome to attend our church, but members must meet and submit to standards. All people are welcome to attend our church, but members must meet and submit to standards. Now, every church can define those standards based on their doctrinal understandings and their polity and their perspective. I get that. But you have to have a set of standards. And people say, well, if you do that, that means some people will feel like they're insiders and some people will feel like they're outsiders. There's a difference between the people that are in, the, in membership and out of membership. And, that, and my response to that is, that is exactly the point. The church is supposed to be a reflection of the kingdom of God. It's supposed to be the visible identification of the kingdom of God. And there are some people in our world that are in the kingdom, and there are some people in our world that are outside the kingdom. And the church should reflect that. So it's not wrong to say we have church membership, and that church membership has standards, and you have to meet those standards if you're going to be a member. And once you say you, you, you are a member, then you have to live up to the expectations we have of members. And that includes 
being held accountable for your public behavior and being held accountable for certain choices that reflect badly on the church and its standing or standards in the community. So having a healthy, sound membership policy is essential for dealing with controversial issues. If you don't, you will have people that are involved in same-sex marriage that have gender confusion issues that are involved in sexual harassment or sexual abuse. You will have these people as members of your church and there won't be anything you can do about it because you do not have a membership policy which enables you or allows you to differentiate and determine who really is a member. So a sound church membership policy, an important ministry action in a, controversy, in, in a, in a climate of controversy. And then number nine, adjust church ministry practices to recognize new challenges. Uh, there's so many of these, but I'll just give a couple of examples. You have to adjust your ministry practices. Uh, let's talk about youth ministry just for an example. Uh, there was a time in the past when youth groups went on mission trips and uh, they went to a place and all the boys slept in one building or one room and all the girls slept in another building in one room and they shared, the boys all shared bath facilities and shower facilities and the girls shared bath facilities and shower facilities. Well, that is no longer necessarily a workable plan because now you may have boys or girls in those groups who have same-sex issue, attraction issues and who have uh, significant moral temptation when they find themselves in those kind of situations. And so you have to adjust how you're going to travel, how you're going to sleep, how you're going to shower, and how you're going to handle these issues in a context where same-sex temptation and same-sex uh, issues are so prevalent. Uh, another aspect of this relates to being a youth minister. Um, here, for example, at Gateway, our youth ministry professor told me that he always teaches that uh, male uh, youth pastors, for example, should never be alone with teenage girls in any context or situation. But recently, he had a youth pastor come to him as a professor and say, now I've got a new problem. I recently met one-on-one -on -one with a 14-year-old boy who came into my uh, office and said, I, uh, I want to talk to you because I'm, I'm really attracted to you sexually, and I wonder if you feel the same way about me. Now, this youth pastor was shocked because he's always met one-on-one -on -one with guys for discipleship, mentorship, uh, you know, just life coaching to try to help them grow in their relationship with God. But now he realized that this one-on-one -on -one relationship pro, uh, prohibition that he'd had about meeting with women privately was now going to have to be extended to guys. And so one of the ministry changes that youth pastors have to make is uh, they just have to work with teenagers in groups now and uh, are in small groups of maybe two teenagers at a time. But if they're going to meet with them individually or privately, it has to be in a public place. It has to be a place where there's windows and people can see in. And so the whole idea of privacy has got to be redefined and really eliminated from our consideration. Now, it's still possible to have confidential conversations, but there can't be any more private meetings or private conversations. Men with men, men with women, doesn't really matter. you got to make a change in your practice. So these are just a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. You have to adjust church ministry practices by taking a good hard look at what you're doing and making the adjustments necessary, not just in youth ministry, but throughout your ministry program to accommodate dealing and living in the culture we're living in today. And then finally, number 10, you have to adjust church and ministry fellowship structures to accommodate people coming out of uh, these controversial lifestyle issues. So, for example, if you have um, someone coming to your church who's a convicted sex offender, you have to make some fellowship-issued decisions about how you're going to receive that person and how you're going to incorporate them into the life of your church. 
Uh, same thing with same-sex couples who may be visiting or attending your church, uh, checking out the gospel. Where do they fit in, and how do they go to Sunday school, and do they go to a couples class or not? And these are the kinds of fellowship structures that have to be rethought in order to be able to accommodate people who are either invested in the gospel but are involved in some kind of controversial or difficult lifestyle situation or who've come to Christ out of one of those situations and now we have to, have to be incorporated into the church in a healthy way. So these are thorny issues to think about. How do we relate to people and how do we incorporate people who either are involved in or coming out of these kind of lifestyle choices that are controversial in our culture? But church fellowship structures have to be adjusted because we have a responsibility to find a way to connect with people relationally, uh, both for the purposes of evangelizing them on one level, but then on a deeper level of incorporating them into our fellowship once they come to faith in Christ. Well, ministry is in our culture today is much more controversial than it's ever been because we are dealing with controversial issues. What I've tried to talk about today are some touch points, just 10 of them, a checklist, if you will, to work through and say, how are we doing on these issues as we try to minister in con on controversial subjects or in controversial issues in our culture today? This will get you started. Think about it. Uh, work on these issues because they're essential as you lead on.